Welcome to Occult of Personality, esoteric podcast extraordinaire at occultofpersonality.net. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky, and your co-host is Rudolf Berger. This is episode 196, featuring an interview with C.R. Dunning Jr., author of Contemplative Masonry, Basic Applications of Mindfulness, Meditation, and Imagery for the Craft. A Cult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, and by the subscribers to chamberofreflection.com, our membership site. Anathema Publishing Limited. Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a trinosophic relationship in troth and gabo between publisher, author, and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft, alchemy, hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian theosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com A Cult of Personality podcast is also sponsored by Miskatonic Books, an online store that focuses on the esoteric, occult, ceremonial magic, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, witchcraft, the Golden Dawn, as well as dark fantasy, classic horror, and supernatural fiction. They carry books by all your favorite esoteric publishers as well. Just visit MiskatonicBooks.com. Our guest tonight is C.R. Chuck Dunning Jr., author of Contemplative Masonry, Basic Applications of Mindfulness, Meditation, and Imagery for the Craft. You can find Chuck online at chuckdunning.com. Chuck Dunning has been a Master Mason since 1988. Chuck is a full member of the Texas Lodge of Research and belongs to a number of other Masonic research societies. In the Scottish Rite, Chuck is a Knight Commander of the Court of Honor, Director of Education for the Guthrie Valley in Oklahoma, and a Class Director for the Fort Worth Valley in Texas. In 2012, he became the founding superintendent of the Academy of Reflection, which is a chartered organization for Scottish Rite Masons wanting to integrate contemplative practice with their Masonic experience. Chuck is a member of the Society for Contemplative Mind in Higher Education and has been engaged in various forms of contemplative practice for over three decades. In his career in higher education and mental health and masonry and with other groups and individuals, he facilitates and teaches mindfulness, meditation, and imagery to enhance people's experiences of life in many ways. 
Chuck holds a master's degree in counselor education and a bachelor's degree in psychology, both from the University of North Texas. Part of the work that has become contemplative masonry first appeared on the internet in 2000 as an anonymously authored guide to the exploration of Freemasonry through contemplative practices like prayer, meditation, breathwork, chanting, and visualization. Sixteen years later, the original author of that material, C.R. Chuck Dunning Jr., has come forward with a substantially expanded edition for those seeking to utilize Masonic symbolism and teachings in a way that is practical, accessible, inspiring, and profoundly transformative. Contemplative masonry is a much-needed resource for masons seeking to undertake the challenging and rewarding work of deep self-knowledge and self-improvement. Brother Dunning provides Freemasons with a unique system of practices derived directly from the craft degrees of masonry, without reliance upon other religious, spiritual, or esoteric traditions. He also shares the valuable wisdom and insights that come from decades of personal experience with contemplative practices. I personally found Chuck Dunning's contemplative masonry to be a much needed guide to using the Masonic degree lectures, symbols, and teachings in a classic, structured, meditative practice. And it does provide a better understanding of the knowledge presented in the Masonic degrees, furthering the maturation process. If you have any esoteric leanings as a Mason, Dunning's book is not only required reading, but should be put into daily practice. I was impressed not only with the book, but also with Dunning's commitment to further Masonic education and deepen the experience and understanding of Masonry. And I think you will be as well. The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos, and the outro music is Build by Ernesto Schnack. All right. Well, Chuck, thank you for joining us. It's really a pleasure to speak with you again, and uh, I'm really happy to talk with you for the Cult of Personality podcast tonight. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I've enjoyed some of your previous shows, and uh, it's been nice getting to know you. I've uh, been familiar with some of your work for a while, and so this is a, this is a real treat for me. Thank you. Great, and greetings from Europe as well. Good evening, Chuck. Good evening, Rudolph. It's wonderful to uh, connect with you too, and I appreciate you being up late to uh, spend some time with me and Greg. Of course. Well, tonight we're going to focus primarily on your wonderful book, Contemplative Masonry, Basic Applications of Mindfulness, Meditation, and Imagery for the Craft, which is really a, a wonderful, wonderful book. And quite frankly, I, I personally found it really unique. Um, but before we get into to talking about your book specifically, maybe you could just introduce yourself to the listeners, tell them a, a little bit about yourself and your history in Freemasonry. Okay. Um, so I, uh, I live in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and I have all my life. Um, 
I was uh, initiated, passed, and raised in 1988 in Haltom City Lodge, number 1331. It has since become Haltom City Riverside Lodge because of uh, a merging of two lodges. Um, and um, joined the Scottish Rite really soon after that. Um, started to uh, follow kind of the traditional path in masonry of getting involved in the Scottish Rite degrees and starting to do some of the uh, the officer roles. I actually became a tiler uh, in my lodge and um, began doing um, some study groups because I had a background uh, in philosophical studies. My minor in college was philosophy, and that's actually what led me to to finally decide that I was ready to join Freemasonry. And um, um, so ever since the very beginning, my interest in Freemasonry the, has been about this philosophical, contemplative, spiritual side of things, and uh, that's just increasingly grown over the years. Thank you. That's interesting. Um, also, because uh, I, as you said, it's a very particular road to go, and maybe especially also for our European listeners, um, could you just tell us before we start about the book um, how how many of your brethren would be going along that path? Because um, here in Europe, we experience a lot of separation between the more, let's say. A, a more more esoteric approach on on or contemplative approach on Freemasonry, as opposed to a more humanist, um, um, uh, non-religious approach to to Masonry. Yeah, I think uh, I think my experience was significantly different. Um, uh, and the Masonic world has changed in the United States and certainly in in uh, Texas over the last thirty years, but um, but. I think the the number of people that were actively involved in Freemasonry who shared the kind of interests that I shared were a very small minority. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly those willing to openly say that that's what their primary interests were, uh, were a minority back then. Uh, most of the the brethren at that time were really much more interested in a fraternal experience, having uh, you know a, a close group of friends and um, and comrades that they could do good works with. Essentially, community service and and uh, trying to help people that uh, needed help in various ways and providing um, funds for different charities. Um, not many people were really interested in in plumbing the depths of of the words in our rituals and what they suggest and and um, and so it was it was kind of hard to to make my way for a long long time but thankfully things have changed yes certainly um that's interesting yeah so i guess this is the the point to ask you um what were you doing and how did you become inspired to put together your book um well like i said i came to the fraternity um looking for the contemplative and philosophical spiritual experience of of the masonic tradition and and the reason that a big part of the reason is because I had already begun 
uh, practicing meditation and other contemplative methods um, through different means. I, I was I was working in mental health at the time. Um, I had a college professor that introduced me to different meditation techniques. Primarily, my first real introduction into formal practice was in a in a form of Kundalini yoga, and um, uh, and so what I was really looking for was um, an initiatic experience and a fraternal uh, fraternal venue in which um, the members supported each other in in diving deeper into contemplative practice and into uh, trying to understand the mysteries, really the mysteries of the universe and of, of existence of ourselves as conscious beings. And, um, and when I didn't really find that um, the timing was really nice because I found another teacher who was, was prepared uh, to take me deeper into the Western esoteric tradition. Uh, and so I began a study with him at that time. And a lot of what is written in the book is a result of the work that I did with that man from the late eighties into, um, uh, into the two thousands. I mean, we, I worked with him for about 15, 16 years altogether. And, um, uh, and so the previous work that I had done with my first teacher and then certainly the work that I did with him informed uh, my practice as a Freemason and what I did with the ritual and symbolism. And I started uh, communicating with some brothers online because this was also about the time that the Internet was catching on and, and uh, Masonic discussion groups were forming online. And, and I was invited to a private group that was specifically focused on esoteric masonry. And there, was, there weren't many of us. Um, but uh, I started making notes. People, people in the list suggested that I, that I start writing down some ideas about how masons could actually do inner work, what techniques they could use, and so on. And so I started writing down notes, and that led to the completion of a manuscript in, in 2000 that was published anonymously on mastermason.com. And uh, I had a small group of brothers that were working through that manuscript with me uh, for a while. And I left the book pretty much idle for a long time and, and, and got involved in some other things. And, uh, and then the time finally seemed right for me to, uh, to, to put it together with, with a little bit more explanation, a little bit more theoretical backing than I had in the original guidebook, the original meditation guidebook that I had written. And that's what led to the publication of this book. And, um, uh, all of the engagement I've had since then with other Masons who are really wanting to do contemplative practice. That's wonderful. And it, mm -hmm. if I could just briefly ask a follow-up and, and preface that by saying, uh, just getting to know you briefly and listening to you speak, reading your book, uh, it's clear that you are uh, someone who's done a good amount of practice. And, and I'm curious if you would tell us, because uh, when you speak or you write, uh, communicate, or I'm just with you, uh, it's very uh, 
perceivable, this, uh, you have this very strong heart centered energy. You speak clearly from your heart mm. and it, it just this radiant sort of light that uh, you project. And I'm wondering, is that a result of your practice of your teachers, uh, instruction and guidance and all the work that you've done? Is that what you would, would attribute that to, or is this just naturally who you are? Um, well, first, thank you. I mean, those are wonderful things to hear said about you, about a person. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of all of those things, Greg. Um, I, uh, I mean, as long as I can remember, I, certainly looking back in hindsight, I can see how I have always been essentially a heart-centered person. Um, and, um, and, and then my first spiritual teacher really emphasized the importance of love. Uh, he's very much a heart-centered person as well, but also one of the most brilliant minds that I've had the fortune to know. Um, and in fact, you know, Greg, most of the people that I've run into in my life who are, who are intellectually brilliant, but also spiritually connected, have this, have this heart centered resonance that you're talking about. Um, and I've just been fortunate enough to run into many of those people. I mean, the late Jim Tresner, brother Jim Tresner is a good example of that. He was, he's one of my mentors as well. And, uh, and then certainly the practices that I learned, um, from my first teacher and then my work with my second teacher really led to, uh, a much more, um, well, I would say mystical realization, and I and I don't need to, uh, and I I don't need to be hesitant about that. It was a genuinely mystical realization of love, as the central principle in my life, and uh, and and that is always there for me. It's kind of a motto for me uh, to when I'm trying to make a decision, when I'm trying to interact with another person to be mindful of the question, what's the most loving thing to do? And, and that's with the implication for everyone involved. And, you know, and I, I fall short of that many times. I'm, I'm not always mindful of that, but that's a, that is an ongoing practice of mine. Mm -hmm. Greg, don't you think it would be a good idea to let our listeners know without giving too much away a bit more about the book itself, what it's talking about and, and what, yeah, Chuck, tell us about it, but without giving too much away, of course, but um, <laughs> what does the book talk about? Okay. Um, so the book is basically divided into two sections. Uh, the first section is an introduction and two chapters that dive into the theory that the second section is, is based upon. Um, and the second section is all about contemplative exercises, contemplative practices that, uh, that Masons can do to experience, um, I guess you would say a deeper or a higher level of, of, of insight and connection with the symbols and the teachings of, of Freemasonry, the craft lodge, and in particularly the, uh, the Preston and, and Webb work that's so popular here in the United States. Um, in, 
in that first section, the introduction in the first two chapters, I really try to lay out a, an understanding of, of an inherent psychology in Freemasonry and, um, and how that psychology includes the, uh, the spiritual and the mysterious dimensions of our being. And then in the, in the second chapter of that first part of the book, I, I, I then try to make a really good, solid case about how the language of our ritual itself tells us that we're supposed to be a contemplative tradition and how that is supposed to lead us into deeper moral, philosophical, and spiritual insight and application of that insight in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great book. Uh, I mean, uh, and I, I know, and you said it just now, and you also say it in the book that you have based your your text, so to speak, on a certain tradition, a certain ritual tradition. But I can tell you that, of course, over here we have kind of different rituals, but I have started working the first exercises uh, for apprentices with three apprentices that we have in my lodge since only about a couple of months. And I have, I'm doing, I'm testing your book on that, so to speak. <laughs> and, and it works perfectly well also with a slightly different with a slightly different ritual which we have over here. How wonderful. That's great. I, I'll look forward to so hearing good more. Good to know for our listeners, it's not limited to, to your ritual. Everybody really in the craft can work on that and could use it. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think there are enough similarities from one rite to another that, uh, of that, that it can prove useful. There may be a few little details here and there that, that have to be adjusted, but that's one of the things that I knew going in because even in the United States, the press, the, the, the ritual from one Grand Lodge to, to another is not exactly the same. And so there are, there are little details that have to be adjusted. Of course, and it's good to learn about those details because we are a universal, uh, a universal fraternity. So we should know about those details. We should be able to adapt ourselves in our thinking. Yeah, I agree. One thing I, I wanted to tr- sort of discuss with you a little bit is, um, you know, based on your the title and and the general activity of the book, which is contemplation um because uh our sense of what that means i think is not always as uh articulated as maybe is helpful Mm. um because when you say to someone even someone interested in philosophy or mysticism the word contemplation what often happens is it's uh, used as a way of deeply reflectively thinking about things. Yes. Right. But I think, and you know, this is my opinion and I'm curious of your thoughts about it, but I feel very strongly that contemplation is really not just thinking about things. What it, is is it's deeply rooted in the foundation of the western esoteric tradition in that as all the great mystics have told us 
where you place your thoughts is not only where you are, it is what you become. Yes. So the act of contemplation, when deeply reflectively considering Freemasonry and the ritual or the divine or deity, things of that nature, that's where you go in a sense. And it's a way of transforming oneself, which is, that's what Freemasonry is all about. So contemplation, while it is, yes, deeply thinking and considering things, concepts, ideas, or transcendent, you know, concepts even and ideas is a way of working on ourselves to bring about a, um, a real discernible and substantial transformation yeah. in a sense. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. I, I like the way you said that. And, um, and I agree that, that, um, there is a kind of common use of the term contemplation or contemplative that, um, uh, that may not, that may not reach most people with the kind of depths that you're talking about. But, but I think it's so for, for one example, one thing that came to mind for me is if you look in, uh, Mackey's encyclopedia, Freemasonry, and uh, you find out what he has to say about the word contemplation. He talks about the the origin of the word, and he says that um, the the ancient Roman augurs would go out to consult the stars, and they would mark off a section in the heavens, um, and that was that marking off the the Latin word for marking off a space is temp, is templum, um, and and so like our word template comes from that same word, and so they would mark off a space in the heavens, and then they would sit in meditation and in watching carefully, closely watching that area of the heavens to see what happened or, or to see what insights or visions came to them. And that's how uh, the word contemplation came to be. Well, that's certainly pretty far back and, and close to the roots of much of, of Western esotericism. And, um, and, and so there's another aspect of what you talked about there that occurs to me, and, and it has to do with uh, the concept of theurgy and the basic underlying uh, principle of theurgy is that if you construct a vessel appropriately, then it will be inhabited by the intelligence or the principles or the beings that you are invoking to, to, to fill it, to take, uh, to take residence in it. And so, for example, um, in Freemasonry, we talk about the building of King Solomon's temple and how that temple had to be constructed properly and the tabernacle as its model had to be constructed properly and the Ark of the Covenant had to be constructed properly. And once everything was constructed properly and in its proper place, then the living presence of the divine would inhabit it. 
And I think contemplative practice is doing the same thing with the temple of our own psyches, that we are trying to put things in order, get our house in order, so to speak, so that we can uh, more directly perceive um, what I would call the divine and the different aspects of the divine within our own being, and not only more more clearly and directly perceive it, but also be able to more effectively work with it. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Uh, it's funny because I was going to ask you a bit a similar question that Greg just did, but on another on another term that you that you're using in the subtitle here, okay. um, which is is mindfulness. Yes. Because also there, I feel maybe in a less um, in a less uh, elaborate way, but I feel that it has been used, especially lately, in many different ways. And I would even extend my question to to other terms that you are not using here, but I think inside the book, which are consciousness and awareness. Yes. So those three terms, mindfulness, consciousness, awareness, how would you, from your point of view and from the point of view of your book, uh, define them, let's put it that way, <laughs> and, or distinguish them? Okay. Um, uh, well, let me preface this by, of course, s stating that... Uh, when we start talking about consciousness um, and awareness, we're we're all already starting to connect with mystery. And so anything, any words that I use to try to describe consciousness are going to be inadequate. Um, but having said that, I'll take a stab at pointing in the right direction. Um, to me, the most inclusive of these three terms is consciousness. And I would... I would call consciousness the um, just the ability to to perceive um, what is, uh, and um, and understanding to some degree comes with that. I don't know that understanding is a necessary aspect, but um, but understanding in some form, not necessarily just the cognitive kinds of logical processes that, and, and even emotional processes that we wrap up under the term understanding, but, but uh, understanding would be part of consciousness. Awareness is, um, is very similar to that. But for me, awareness has to do with the, with, with consciousness being directed. Um, and so, and so what is, what is consciousness, um, open to at a particular moment? What is it focused upon? Um, what is it capable of perceiving? And, and, and I think those would be the things that I would put under the heading of awareness. For me, then, mindfulness uh, is about actually intentionally practicing awareness. Um, and in fact, that's one of the ways that I define contemplation. It's my favorite shorthand definition of contemplation is the intentional practice of awareness. And mindfulness in its popular usage in these days uh, refers to that intentional practice of awareness in the moment, from moment to moment, to be aware of what you're doing and to be doing what you're aware of and to not divide our consciousness too much uh, from from where we are in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, great. So, Chuck, 
In your book, you have uh, extensive exercises, meditations, instructions for practice mm -hmm. for Masons based on the ritual and the teachings of Masonry. And as far as I'm aware, and I could be wrong, but I've not seen anything of this sort uh, for Masons, written by Masons, do, having to do strictly with Freemasonry, and yet applying all of the same uh, meditative visualization techniques that uh, we're familiar with from you know other uh, schools in the Western tradition. And um, I think it's extraordinary. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah, Greg, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not aware of any book quite like this one having been written before. Um, I know that there have been a few books that are, are like those daily meditation books where you, you're giving some sort of inspirational quote or something to think about or, or to pray upon, but there's, there's not really any instruction on how to manipulate consciousness to to be able to to work at deeper levels with with these things or to access other aspects of our consciousness with these things um and uh and and i just got to be honest with you here that after 300 and something years of our tradition being recognized in the fraternal form that it currently exists and having existed prior to that for quite a while in other forms it really has amazed me that, um, particularly in the 20th century, nobody wrote anything like this before. Um, it still it still stuns me. It's shocking, and it, I feel like you've you've crossed the the Rubicon in a sense, like by by bringing really practical instruction in in exercises that people can engage in that are effective and utilize the teachings it's uh it, it, you're right I, I don't i don't know why I, I mean i can see why it hadn't been done you know there's all sorts of uh beliefs and concepts about how things should or shouldn't be but um yeah it, it's been Long overdue. I'm really glad you're the one who, who did it, though. Well, thank you. Definitely. I appreciate that. But I think, in a way, this book is bringing back together two things that, for whatever reasons, and uh, Greg, you were just saying there are a number of obvious reasons we couldn't now cite, but uh, um, not good reasons, in my opinion. But for some reasons, those two things have gone separate. Uh, and you are finally bringing them back together because, I mean, um, I was going to ask you, Chuck, which is a bit of follow-up on what, what Greg just asked you. Um, if a young mason, a young apprentice comes into a, into a lodge and he's not lucky enough to find Chuck or a Chuck there uh, who, who picks him up on that and introduces him to that part of what I think is essential to Freemasonry, at least to the way I see it and I want to practice it. Um, what would you suggest? A, um, 
will he automatically find his way, do you think? And if he finds your book by his search, but is alone in his group, in his lodge, in his surroundings, in his Masonic yeah, uh, world, um, can he, with the book alone, find his path? Is that also an intention of the book, or, or is that not enough, in your opinion? Um, I, th I think that I think that uh, a mason in those circumstances could benefit from the book alone. Um, but there is so much more to be gained by working with someone who, well, the the Masonic language that we use is you know those who have gone this way before us. There's so much benefit to be gained by having a close association with someone who has more experience of of working with consciousness directly in the ways that we're talking about. Um, there's also advantage to, to being in the company of others who may not necessarily be more experienced, but are just doing that kind of work as well and, and having different insights and, and experiencing things in different ways and to, and to be able to kind of cross pollinate with each other about what we have perceived and, and how it is affecting us. And, uh, thankfully, um, we we now live in an age, this information age, in which it's possible for um, most Masons to be able to find someone that they can connect with at a distance, if not in their, you know, their local surroundings, to have the kind of interaction that we're talking about. And I would encourage any Mason that feels like they're in some lonesome corner of the Masonic world where they can't get this kind of, of uh, experience and interaction to, to take to the internet, uh, to contact me. I mean, I've, I, I have left an email address uh, at the back of my book so that people can connect with me and I will help make connections between them and other Masons if I can. And, and I see that as an important part of my work. In fact, Absolutely. Yeah. I can only talk for Europe. I don't know, Greg, if you have made other experiences. Of course, you, Chuck, but maybe, Greg, from your point of view. But um, I now have become a bit known as somebody within our Austrian Grand Lodge who is interested in that and maybe people come up to me with questions. But before that, it was often like you were in a lodge and talked, made, had a lecture and suddenly two or three present afterwards almost secretly would come to you and say, well, it's great that you're talking about this, but you know, we can't do that during our regular work because, <laughs> and I don't know if this is the same question still in, in the US, uh, as it seems, Chuck, it has improved a bit, but at least that is the situation over here. Um, and I'm sure it's not only in, in, in Austria, it's certainly uh, across Europe, a very, a very common uh, situation. I would say it's very common here too, in my experience. Although, uh, because of my travels, I'm I'm becoming more familiar with groups of masons and even lodges that um, that they are openly talking about these things. Some of them are actually including contemplative practice in their lodge meetings, um, and in a way that doesn't ruffle the feathers of of their grand lodge officers. Um, so. There's a there's a bright future. I mean, I think we're we're in a Masonic Renaissance, and uh, I'm I'm tempted to wax poetically about uh, about a golden dawn of some sort. 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> you do a lot of work in the Scottish Rite yes. in this area. And I'm just wondering if you would share with the listeners uh, about the Academy of Reflection and what you do. And, and because that, to me, that's really amazing and wonderful as well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about the Academy of Reflection, and and I could I could talk quite a while about that. There's not too much about it that that I want to keep secret. Uh, it's one of the objectives of the Academy of Reflection is to be as transparent as possible. Um, so the Academy of Reflection uh, was an idea that emerged after I had been uh, appointed to serve as the director of education for the Guthrie Valley of the Scottish Rite in Guthrie, Oklahoma, which was already so well known for its Masonic education because of men like Jim Tresner and, and Bob Davis. And, uh, and I say men like, essentially, it was those two men who, uh, both of them, if, if somehow a Scottish Rite Mason doesn't know those two names, then they need to, they need to look because there's a lot of, of wisdom and, and knowledge that that can be obtained from them. Um, so I had been appointed to become the director of education for our reunions there. And, um, and one of the things that both Jim and Bob wanted me to do was to offer uh, meditation sessions to uh, Masons that were interested during our Scottish Rite reunions. And so I, um, I started doing that. And after, um, it wasn't really very long, maybe after one or two reunions, uh, one of the brothers approached me and said, Hey, some of us have been talking and we really think there ought to be some sort of, uh, like official support for what we're doing here, that this shouldn't be just an informal gathering of guys who enjoy meditation, but, but that, there should be some organizational support for, for what we're doing here. And, and I said, okay, I'll, uh, I'll take that as director of education and go talk to, uh, to, to our general secretary, which was Bob Davis at the time and talk to the director of work, which was Jim Tresner. And both of them just loved the idea. I can remember Jim Tresner's face lighting up and, and he said, I not only think it's a good idea, I think it's time. And, and, uh, so, you know, he was, he was immediately like responsive with this passion and, and, uh, and so just really quickly and it all fell into place. The, the name, the emblem, how it was going to work, it just all fell into place. And, um, and for people who've been involved in creative endeavors, you know, that when things start falling into place like that, that there's there's something going on more than just people calculating and strategizing and coming up with, with good ideas. And, um, and so, uh, I, uh, I then started writing a curriculum, um, that would be part of this organization so that if, um, if brothers wanted to pursue solitary practice, in addition to participating in the group work that we were doing during reunions, they could do so. Um, and this curriculum would be contemplative practice specifically geared to the Scottish Rite degrees. And um, 
we came up with an induction ceremony um, so that uh, if you know that that when someone wants to join the Academy of Reflection, they can actually participate in a ceremony that recognizes the significance of the commitment that they're making, and they receive uh, a transmission of 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 good, positive, beneficial energies from from the other brothers that are involved with that. It's a transmission of love and care and support that you're not going to be alone in this work, and. Um, uh, and and it has caught on. We um, we've got um, we have the authority. We, by the way, we got chartered by the Sovereign Grand Inspector General of Oklahoma in 2012. That makes us an official organization. We have the authority to charter other academies of reflection. Um, there's a process for that. Uh, the first level in that process is called being an academy in formation. Uh, we have two current cat- academies in formation out in California, and we will have a third one, it looks like, by uh, uh, mid-April. Um, and um, uh, we're close, we're getting close to chartering at least one of those academies so that they can be a fully functioning academy of reflection on their own. Um, and then Guthrie will remain the mother academy. Um uh, and, and be in the business of, of chartering others as well as meeting the needs of its own local members. That, that's great. And I hope to, this is going to be the birth of a, new, of a new path within Scottish masonry because I think it's really something quite extraordinary. I'm, uh, I'm very, very uh, curious to see how, how this will go along. In a way, in a way, I don't know if you like that comparison, Chuck, but, but in a way you just said something about Golden Dawn. Of course, we are not with that. But in a way, um, you're creating something here that uh, not masonry directly, but uh, people who were masons created 150 years ago. But you do it in a different way, more linked to the Scottish Rite. And probably it stays there and it should stay there. But is that is that the idea to bring the 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 the, the broadness of the Western tradition uh, where masonry is part of back into masonry? Is that the idea or what, what else would you define as its genuine idea? Um, boy, there's a lot to reflect on there, Rudolf. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anybody who's familiar with the Scottish Rite degrees will see that there are many, many influences of Western esotericism in the Scottish Rite degrees. They're not hidden. They're openly stated in the Scottish Rite degrees. So it's not like we have to suppose, as we do with Blue Lodge ritual, that that this symbol connects with this other thing that happens in some other Western esoteric tradition. In the Scottish Rite, it's overt. And, um, and so in that sense, I'm not bringing anything new at all into the Scottish Rite experience. The Academy of Reflection really introduces very little in the way of, uh, of philosophical ideas or, or principles. What I'm trying to do is more uh, reintroduce the practical side of some of those traditions. The, the idea that each of those traditions understood 
And still today, those that are operating still today understand that to to use Masonic language to 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 achieve the the greatest realization of, of things like wisdom, strength and beauty. We have to go beyond using our minds in ordinary ways. Uh, we have to become familiar with what we might call non-ordinary ways of using the mind. And, um, and, and that's, that's what I'm trying to, to bring back into this experience of Freemasonry that I believe a lot of Masons did in the past. Um, but it got lost along the way. And since you mentioned the Golden Dawn, I think one of the interesting things about the Golden Dawn is that it's obviously an outgrowth of, of Masonic esotericism. I mean, the guys that created the Golden Dawn, most of them are, are, were first in the, uh, the Rosicrucian Society there in England that, um, that was created because Masons wanted to connect with that very deep, rich part of the Western esoteric tradition. Um, and, you know, I, I'm absolutely sure that what happened was they were sitting around talking about all of this language and symbolism connecting with the Rosicrucian tradition. Well, when are we going to stop talking about it and actually start practicing some of this stuff? And, and I'm absolutely convinced that that is what led to the creation of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It's a very similar kind of question that, uh, that drives me in my work with the Academy of Reflection and with Contemplative Masonry. It's been really wonderful to, to meet you, to get to know you, to speak with you today, to read your book. And um, I'm really, really impressed and uh, grateful for all the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's really a pleasure to talk with you. I thank you for, for sitting down with us today. My pleasure, Greg. I, uh, I, likewise, I appreciate the work that, that you and Rudolph are both doing. And uh, I know you both have your own really deep commitment to your practices, to trying to, uh, help other people in whatever way that you can to, you know, to, to integrate this world that we live in, in some way, some small way. Um, and, uh, and so I appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, letting me have an opportunity to, to speak to your listeners and, and maybe um, give them some, some ideas about things that uh, they could be doing in their corners of the world. In the Chamber of Reflection, Rudolph and I continue the interview with Chuck Dunning. We delve even more deeply into his conception of contemplative masonry, and Chuck shares some eminently practical advice. I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create. We ask you to support our efforts and the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash personality. And if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, 
my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Thank you.